welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general. And you are here for episode three. As two neuroscience majors, it only felt right to tap into our psychology background sooner rather than later. And what topic is better to focus on than the first old white guy to pop up (laughs) on your Psych 101 slides? That's right. We're talking about Sigmund Freud. Now, this episode isn't exactly about him per se, but rather his theories pertaining to women. Also, before we begin, I do want to issue a warning that we will be speaking about the sex organs of men and women because Freud was very into the idea of how sexuality plays into psychology. So if you feel uncomfortable with hearing the words penis or clitoris or vagina, then this is your warning. So we also ended up talking a little bit about sexual assault and sexual assault survivors. So if you'd like to skip this part of the episode, then feel free to skip from the 10 minute and 30 second mark to the 12 minute and 30 second mark. This is for the two minutes after I mentioned the theory that I coined, Tweetle D. So Alicia, before we actually get into things, what do you know about Freud or his ideas of women? I know that he did a lot of work with defense mechanisms and he had different theories of development, like different stages of development. Um, And they all had really funny names like oral and anal. And that's all I remember. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember that. And I remember that he is pretty misogynistic. He he thought that all women wanted to be men. And I watched, I recently watched this terrible Netflix original. It was called Freud and it was in German, but I watched it anyway. And I thought it was going to be really interesting because I think Freud is definitely interesting. Like his ideas about the subconscious and that stuff is definitely cool. But that show was totally whack. That's what I know. (laughs) All right. Well, let's see if you're right. Before we get into all the craziness of Freud, we need to understand exactly who this man was and what the social context was to his theories. Sigmund Freud was born Sigismund Freud. In 1856, in the Austrian Empire. And then his family moved to Vienna, which is in Austria, at the age of four, where he lived for most of his adult life, at least until the Nazis occupied Austria in the late 1930s and chased him out Mm. and into England. And then he died in England in 1939 of mouth cancer. But now here are some more details of importance. Freud was born into a family where his father was very remote and authoritarian, but his mother was very nurturing and very emotionally available. And therefore, he was extremely close with his mother. So I wonder how these family dynamics affected his professional life, huh? Bad dad, good mom thing going on. Sounds like daddy issues waiting to happen. Yeah. And then as a young adult, Freud knew that he wanted to be a scientist and expand human knowledge. And he eventually went into medical school at the University of Vienna in 1873, where he studied biology and conducted six years of physiology research where he specialized in neurology. Wow. After graduating from medical school in 1881, which may I point out is eight years after he entered medical school, 
which I don't know what happened there, but that's what the sources said. After he graduated medical school, he also got married and then began working in a hospital and had six children of his own. Wow. Freud was not happy to be working in a hospital because he did not go into medicine to treat people or be around patients. Like he really wanted to be a scientist. It sounds like if he existed now, he would have done like a PhD instead yeah, of getting an like MD. clinical psychology. Yeah. Yeah. But he did eventually leave the hospital and set up his own private practice where he did um, treatment of psychological disorders. And this is where he began developing the theories that this episode is focused on. Okay. Also, Freud fell in love with something else. Can you guess what that was? Penises. <laughs> No, he fell in love with cocaine. I was not going to guess that. No, not a million years. During this period, it was not uncommon for doctors to use themselves as guinea pigs. And Freud did justice with, with cocaine. He loved the psychological effects of the drug and how it treated his depression and made him talk about things he otherwise thought were buried deep within him. Which mm. makes you think of like what? The subconscious mind basically right, yeah. and like dreams and exactly uncovering that. So also one of his most famous works, the interpretation of dreams is heavily based on the cocaine oh. dreams he would have. Oh, ooh, interesting. Know. So he, yeah, he did a lot of cocaine, was very addicted to it. But <laughs> in 1900, Freud killed one of his patients while on cocaine. So he stopped using the drug. If you want to learn more, there is a book on Freud and cocaine called The Anatomy of Addiction. And the book is written by Howard Markle, who is a professor at the University of Michigan Medical School. Howard Markle. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, back to Vienna in the late 1800s. Okay. So we're in Vienna. And what do you think life is like for women? And I'll give you a hint. We just literally talked about it in episode two. Big poofy skirts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and corsets, like no rights, basically. Mm-hmm. Things are not looking good for women. Yep. And women were viewed as very fragile, as like these pure, mm. delicate, you know, porcelain beings. It made women very mystical. And Freud already had a really complicated relationship with women. He was very close to his mother, as I mentioned. But then on the other hand, in his relationships with his patients and his wife, he was very patronizing. He even told his wife when she once expressed interest in a career, am I to think that my delicate, sweet girl as, is a competitor? Excuse me? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Bro. If my husband said that to me, I'd be like, bye. <laughs> so when you add up the mystical nature of women in Victorian era and his personal relationships with women... Freud was left feeling very confused. He often asked, what do women want? And called them the dark continent. I just think that's so funny that he is like these mystical, like unknown creatures. I know, it sounds like women are like straight out of fairy tales. <laughs> you literally, <laughs> it's like that could actually be a Grimm Brothers tale. Right. So he was confusion to say the least. So he set off to try and understand a woman's mind through psychoanalysis or the theory of treating psychological disorders by looking at the interaction of the conscious and the unconscious mind through bringing repressed memories to the conscious. Yeah. Didn't he like create psychoanalysis? That was yes. his thing, right? Yes. He is the father of psychoanalysis. 
So when you think of psychoanalysis, you're most likely thinking of Freud talking to someone, laying out on a couch, and they're just giving up their soul to Freud. And that's basically Mm -hmm. the idea. And Freud developed this treatment, which is more commonly known as talk therapy. So talk therapy Mm -hmm. was developed with his partner, Joseph Brewer, where they discovered that when the patient by the name of Anna Mm -hmm. O., when she described her feelings, her symptoms of hysteria were alleviated. And this soon led to the development of talk therapy, which is still very much a part of psychology today. But I mentioned hysteria. And what even is hysteria? Well, Mm -hmm. it really deserves an episode within itself, and it will have one in the future. But to put it simply, and in the context of psychology, it is the idea of having psychological symptoms that cause physical pain. So having hallucinations, having amnesia, having partial paralysis. And this was mostly seen in women. And women are often referred to as hysterical, which shouldn't be a surprise. Hysteria is very much connected to being over-emotional, a term Mm. commonly used when describing women. So this added even more to the mystery of women. Freud found himself asking, why are women hysterical? What causes a child to become a woman? And what is the answer to the riddle of femininity? The riddle of femininity. That's what he called it. And for Freud, the answer to all these questions were really intertwined. Before before we can move into these theories where he's trying to figure out his answers, I first need to explain what Freud means when he says feminine. Because when you're thinking of feminine, it's probably a lot different than what Freud was thinking. Because Freud is thinking femininity means sexual differentiation. It is the moment where a child becomes either a man or a woman. And before this moment, Freud believed a child to be bisexual, or in his definition, a little man who didn't understand the sexual difference between a man and a woman. So there are two theories of Freud that I'm going to explain today that seek to understand women, hysteria, and femininity. And I, I have coined these theories Tweedledee and Tweedledum. (laughs) Up first, we have Tweedledee. And this is the theory of seduction. And it comes from the idea that hysteria arises from repressed memories of childhood molestation. And due to the repressed Mm. nature of these memories, they showcase themselves through bodily symptoms. The trauma was thought to cause later psychological issues. And it's not to say that this theory was totally incorrect. Sexual trauma or trauma of any kind does leave a lasting physical and mental impact on the body, and I'm not disputing that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. However, Freud theorized that repressed sexual trauma was the root of femininity. So he thought that these little boys who experienced because we were all little boys once. (laughs) (laughs) It's where we all run around in little overalls. (laughs) And little hats, and we experienced some kind of sexual trauma or trauma, and then we became women because we repressed it. Yes, the female children were the um, ones specifically receiving trauma, which does happen a lot in society, sadly. And I did see one source that talked about how this might have been showing how big of an issue child molestation was in Vienna, like where he was Mm. living. And maybe he was just taking the social context 
of, you know, of what he knew of what did happen to female children and then Mm -hmm. speaking to female patients and hearing about sexual traumas, you know, having people vent to him and he started to put them all into a theory. But obviously that theory, even though it might be true for some people, just just like a blanket statement and blanket statements don't ever work, especially in cases of assuming that everyone has this terrible trauma. So next we have Tweedledum or theory number two, which is the theory of infantile or better known as the theory that the repression of sexual fantasies, which begin in childhood, leads to hysterical symptoms. Wait, say it one more time. This theory is saying that sexual fantasies that you develop as a child leads to femininity. (laughs) My first question is like, what does this mean? So we're going to explore this theory in much more detail and it is pretty much the main focus of what we're going to be talking about because it does get pretty crazy. We're going to start off as we little bisexual children and we don't even know what we are yet. We are babies. You are a small little child and you're starting to go through Freud's stages of sexual development. Starting off in the oral stage as a baby, we're obsessed with the mouth and putting things in your mouth, which I would like to side note So in the sexual development stages, Freud also theorized that people can become fixated in these stages. I remember learning about this in psych and I was like, I am fixated in the oral stage because people who bite their nails apparently are (laughs) thought to be fixated in the oral stage. And I was like, I am such a nail biter. I was literally just by I know. <laughs> so we are stuck in the oral stage, it sounds like. We didn't even get to this next part of the theory. Oh, no. That means we're still little men. <laughs> so yeah, the baby starts in the oral stage. And then they move to the anal stage where they begin to potty train. And next to the phallic mm-hmm. stage. And this is where you finally realize that you are penisless. Because surprise, you are five years old and you just begin to understand that you are actually a girl and not a little man. <laughs> surprise not a little man because you look down at yourself and you see that you have no penis which must mean that it was cut off it's the only explanation (laughs) yeah because it had to be cut off because all you can see for your center of sexual desire is your clitoris which you really hope is actually just a tiny penis because now (laughs) you have developed penis envy So now you have penis envy because you are convinced that yours has been cut off and you're left with this little tiny makeshift hopeful penis that's actually your clitoris. However, your twin brother just begins to realize that he does have a penis and he is terrified at the sight that you do not have one. What? (laughs) It's it was cut off. It was definitely cut off. And he's like, dad must have cut it off. It's the only explanation for why my sister doesn't have a penis. So, you know, these kids are going through a lot in their minds. Oh, wow. At five. Yep, at five. Because at this point, the girl, which is us, we become to grow very close to our father because we blame our mother for our lack of penis. And the brother grows close to the mother, which he was already attached to from the beginning, from being an infant. And this is called the Oedipus complex, Mm -hmm. which is based on the Greek tragedy of Oedipus Rex, where a prince sleeps with his mother and kills his father. But in psychology, it actually means when a child fights their same-sex parent for affection from their opposite-sex parent. 
So once a child has reached this point, two things can happen. They can either resolve this complex or they can become rooted in it. What do you think happens to the girl versus the boy child if these are the two paths that you can take? So what happens if the girl and the boy get stuck at this stage where they're like in love with their opposite sex parent? So the child can become stuck in a stage. And this is what is often referred to as like being attached to the mom or being attached to the father. So boys that are attached to their mom too much often have a lot of issues. When they grow up, they have a hard time forming adult relationships. They have issues with women. They just have a lot of like mommy problems. And then the reverse is that the girl would have like daddy issues. But in Freud's idea, if things are going on as planned, like no one's becoming fixated, everyone's just going down the path, the boys will overcome the complex once they begin to fear their father because they think that their love for their mother will make the father jealous, leading to the father castrating them. So they're like, oh God, my dad's gonna cut off my penis. I can't love my mom. Therefore, the boy shifts his love for the mother to women who are like her. Okay, so this is that idea that you hear a lot when people say like, you're gonna fall in love with someone who's similar to like your opposite sex parent. Exactly, yep. So this is Freud's way of saying that they have resolved the complex because they're not actually trying to like marry their mother or their father anymore. They are just trying to find people in the world who are like them. This part gets into another important psychological theory of Freud, known as the id ego superego theory. Yes. Wait, can we first recap? Yeah. To make sure I understand, there's the sexual development stages that Mm -hmm. a child, the little men go through. Yes. And it starts in oral. And if you get fixated there, then you're like obsessed with putting things in your mouth when you're older. Example Mm -hmm. is like nail biters. (laughs) Then you go to the anal stage, which is like potty training and stuff. And then you get to the phallic stage, which is like around five years old. And that's when you realize that you're either a boy or not a boy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because you either have a penis or you don't have a penis. And that's when you fall in love, quote unquote, with your opposite sex parent because you like grow an attachment to them Mm -hmm. and you dislike the, uh, the same sex parent. Yes. And then if you get stuck in that stage, then you stay weirdly attached and you have like daddy issues or mommy issues. That's if you stay attached to that parent. But if you properly move past that stage, Freud believed that you would end up not hating the same or the opposite sex parent anymore. You would just search the world to find someone to be your life partner who is similar to that parent. Exactly. And an important part of overcoming this complex is the id, ego, superego theory. In this theory, the id is our primal instinct and it is completely unconscious to us. So for the boy, this is the love for the mother and the desire to eliminate the father. The ego is both unconscious and conscious and it serves as our reality check. So the ego says, hey, id, We cannot defeat our father. He is bigger than us. He is stronger than us. And he will cut off our penis. This is not a realistic goal. 
So the ego is pushing the id back saying, no, 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 we cannot do this. And then the superego is activated. And this is our sense of right and wrong and it's our moral compass. So our superego helps repress the primal and usually socially unacceptable ways of the id and pushes the ego to act morally and not always be so realistic. So this is saying that, okay, the id, you really don't want to be with mom, but the ego is saying, no, 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 we know we can't do that. The dad will castrate us. The super ego is saying, well, let's resolve this by saying that you can just seek out women who are like the mother, not actually your mother. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like, if you imagine like the devil and angel on your shoulder, like the devil is the id who like wants you to do whatever you want and act really improperly. And then the ego is this idealistic, super realistic angel on your shoulder. who's like, you should always do this, this, and this. And your super ego is like actually your conscious who's like, okay, let's try to find a balance here. Exactly. So when the boy overcomes his Oedipus complex, he develops his super ego because he overcomes the Oedipus complex, meaning that he no longer is in love with his mother. And that's because he develops the super ego that, like you said, is like the conscious telling the devil and the angel, no, 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 this is the right solution. So now Mm -hmm. the boy is ready to enter the world as a morally like just adult. But what about us? What about the girls? Do we overcome the Oedipus complex? According to Freud, no. Girls never, they never overcome the Oedipus complex. The girl is never able to overcome her desire for her father. Therefore, the girl becomes an object of male desire. She also takes her penis envy and redirects it into a desire for having a male child. Because in this way, the woman can obtain her own penis by being a mother. What? So by having a male child, Freud was like, that serves enough. So additionally, in order for the girl to have this child to become a childbearing woman, the girl's sexuality must move from the focus on the clitoris, which is like the hope of having a tiny penis one day, to focus on the vagina so that she can have children and have those children ideally be boys right so that they can obtain the penis that she never had exactly so therefore the girl is suppressing her male side which is linked to the clitoris in a woman because of that tiny penis theory and has now fully bloomed into her femininity but since she came into this womanhood through not developing a super ego because she didn't go through all the stages of id ego to get to super ego and say, you know, we're not going to desire the father. She instead became an object of male desire. She has no super ego and she has accepted her penislessness, which I don't think is a word, but I made it a word. (laughs) Freud concludes that women are therefore inferior to men. Okay. So basically Freud thinks that only men have this ability to have like an id ego, super ego, or maybe just a super ego. So he just thinks that girls don't have that. Just, and- they just don't develop it. Right. Okay. So they have no way of moving out of this stage. And so they're always like attached to their fathers. Yeah, kind of. So it sounds like by not overcoming the complex, they're still seeking to be desired by their father. So they're seeking that male desire and then becoming like an object 
of male pleasure and wanting to be sought after. And then also because the male desire and the penis envy aren't the same thing, but they're like very connected. Penis envy, you try to work through it by having a child and then the whole father attachment, you just become an object of male desire. So those are the kind of the two outcomes. Got it. Okay. So right. So because you okay. do not develop the superego, Freud is like, women are inferior to men for these reasons. <laughs> that actually was so convoluted and stupid, but <laughs> this is why that theory is called Tweetle Dumb. And that is the end <laughs> of the theory of infantile. Those are like the two main theories pertaining to answering this question of what is femininity? Like what creates a woman out of a girl? Do you have any questions before we want to go forward and talk about what this means and actually creating a woman? I know that there's like five stages of sexual development. Do you happen to know like what the last two are? Um, There's the latency stage, which is from when you're about six years old to when you hit puberty. And then there's the genital stage, which is from puberty to being Uh, an adult. Okay. Oh, I remember. I remember. Because in latency, they say like nothing much happens. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because when you're like eight, you're not going to do anything. Like, right. Right. And then you hit puberty and you have this like sexual awakening and you're just like, Ooh. exactly. And then you're actually attracted to the opposite sex and you are, you know, living life as a regular adult. I guess I am a little confused about whether women even make it to that stage Maybe they do, but their way of overcoming the third stage is like flawed in his mind. I'm not sure because Freud had so many theories in psychology. Like he really was a great thinker for this field. And a lot of them will like cross paths, you know, but it's not to say that this theory of infantile is going to withstand like his other theories. It sounds like they just weave into each other. So I'm not sure how this theory like affects the other theory in itself that makes sense he's a confusing guy so yeah he is very confusing and we'll just leave that he switches his like ideas a lot like the Tweedledee theory of theory seduction he abandoned when he moved on to this theory of infantile like he Um, was like just kidding I don't think that theory is really it and then moves on to this one so if women have no superego and they are therefore inferior to men. What do you think Freud then moves on to theorize about women if they have no sense of right and wrong, if no superego? What what is a what is a woman in society then? What is her place? I guess two options pop into my head. The first is that women are, I guess, hysterical. Women have no moral boundaries because they have no super ego. Mm -hmm. And my other thought is that women are very docile. Like they're very fragile. They don't act out of place because I don't know why. That's just kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty on point with a lot of it. I have a whole list of things because of their suppression of their male side and lack Mm -hmm. of super ego. Women are, in the words of Freud, more prone to neurosis or psychological disorders. Mm-hmm. So that's like the hysteria. They're more masochistic. Yeah, yeah. So that's the tendency to derive sexual pleasure from pain, which Freud attributed attributed to repressing um, the 
aggressive side of men. So by being feminine and not having the masculine side, then you obviously have to get sexual pleasure from pain was what he said, which was even used as an excuse to abuse women in the past because people would just say, oh, it's just food for her nature. That's all it is. So we like abusing them is not that big of a deal. Just so terrible. Freud also said that women were more envious due to their primal envy for the penis. Mm -hmm. Women were more subject to feelings of shame due to their natural wounded state. Uh Women were less reliable, less self-sufficient, less admirable. And in most cases, they were disastrous when contributing to the great intellectual, artistic, in spiritual accomplishments of humanity. Thanks, Freud. Literally, (laughs) thank you so much. You made me feel amazing. Right. And then even one last like crazy theory that came from, you know, what created women is that women invented weaving for the sole purpose of hiding their privates because they were so ashamed of their wounded area. Oh my God, dude. Are you joking? (laughs) You're really just grabbing at straws here, man. (laughs) Where is the evidence, my man? Where is the evidence? I don't know how good Freud was with evidence. Because, like, coming up with talk therapy was the studying of, like, one woman. And I also know one of his theories was also based on the study of, like, one child. Like, the sample size? One. One. Yeah. So Freud, let's remember, was studying the psychology of women because one, he was trying to figure out why women presented as being more hysterical and having these like unknown symptoms in men. And two, he's also trying to understand women just in themselves and what exactly makes them different from men. But after going through these two really prominent theories, it doesn't really feel like he got to the bottom of these questions. And I think this is really interesting because Freud was truly like a brilliant psychologists. Things like talk therapy are still used today and his thoughts on dreams and the unconscious versus conscious. Like they're really important in psychology, but he was so off base when it came to women. Yeah. And I even found one quote that stated every great thinker has at least one blind spot and Freud's was women. Mm. So though Freud is known as one of the fathers of psychology, His theories on women were not always supported, which is nice to hear. So to name a few oppositions, the German psychiatrist, Karen Horney. The genius of Karen. Karen and Siggy, they really did not like each other. They went at each other, it sounds like. And Karen rejected the notion of penis envy. She stated that it was inaccurate and demeaning to women, which like, yes, Karen, round of applause for that. But she proposed that instead, men have womb envy. They are mad that they are able to create almost anything in the world except the most precious thing, which is human life. But Freud clapped back and he said that this theory was really just rooted in Dr. Horney's own penis envy. (laughs) He was like, uh, you're wrong. You're just... You're just jealous. That's a good, really good comeback, Freud. (laughs) There's also an Austrian medical doctor from around the 1920s named Alfred Adel. He thought that women's inferiority was not biological, as Freud insisted, but rather social. So these are not great rebuttals. 
to Freud's theories, <laughs> but they are better than other psychologists like Jung, who said nothing to refute Freud's theories. Yeah, I, wasn't Carl Jung? I think he was one of his students. Was he? I feel like everyone is someone's student. I know. With like all of the old white men. Yeah, all the white yeah. men knew each other. They're like the biggest crossover TV episode of all time. <laughs> <laughs> they were like the victorious and iCarly crossover. Uh, or the, no, they were the Marvel Avengers of their time. Yeah, I was also going to say like the Hannah Montana meets Sweet Life. Oh my God, um, meets. Zach and Cody meets Wizards of Waverly Place. Yes! <laughs> Iconic. The best episode. Okay. But before closing up this story, I did want to mention that while Freud's theories generally misrepresented women, he was forward-thinking in a couple of aspects that I did think were noteworthy. Okay. So one, he acknowledged women's sexuality in a time when, where women were viewed as like fragile butterflies. Their sexuality were not really talked about. You know, like if you showed an ankle, that was scandalous and things right. like that. And Freud's like coming outright and being like, sexuality is the root of women. So that was a very progressive thought. He also challenged the theories of sex and gender. Um, Sex and gender are often debated, even today, of whether they are based in biology or based in culture. And for Freud, he proposed that sexuality is beyond our mental or physical ability to control, and it is purely innate. He stated that a person's sexuality is not uniform, but rather goes through their own changes which I believe are huge theories when you're considering asking what even is gender, what is sexual orientation and thinking about the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. I was thinking about that when we were making fun of the little men, because I know that we were poking fun, but I think that did cross my mind that he was basically letting these kids decide quote unquote, there was some aspect of waiting and deciding. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about that too, as I was doing research and I'm like, wow, these theories, even though they're incorrect, (laughs) do have an interesting way of looking at what gender is and like how fluid gender is. And for us, we are like cisgender, heterosexual women these theories are based on women like us but we're obviously like not the only people who identify as women in the world so but Freud's overall theories were obviously very hurtful to women and that had a lasting effect on women throughout this past century so I was looking for things that talked about the lasting impact of Freud's theories on women and I found one article that talked about how in the 1970s the psychiatry residents at the University of Toronto once asked their hospital chief why the female residents were given lower stipends than their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. And the chief replied, this is quoted, oh, no. they suffered from penis envy, which they could cure by getting into analysis, which I'm assuming he's meaning psychoanalysis. Excuse me? From the 1970s in Canada, and this man is like, well, the girl... Doctors don't get paid the same. Canada, because no, they have penis envy. And then Canada, 17 years yeah. later, this discrimination was still evident at the university. 
because female professors were paid $15,000 less than their male counterparts. But when they asked officials why this was the case, it was stated that when women are more qualified and around for longer, they will earn the same. So the Freudian theory is that women are biologically inferior in both the mental and physical body is detrimental to society's view of women today and to working towards equality of the sexes. Discrimination based on sex can be drawn back to these theories of seduction, theories of infantile, the lack of superego, hysteria, and more, which can all be tied to Freud's quest for answering the riddle of femininity. But did he even really solve that riddle? Or did he really just make it more complicated in the end? And I think this is definitely worth discussing. Don't you think, Alicia? I agree. first thoughts your initial reactions to these theories to freud all right well that was a great overview that is just not at all what you cover in psychology classes unless you're really getting into like a specific class about freud and gender right but the there was a couple things that really stuck out to me I thought it was very, very interesting that Freud had such misogynistic views considering he was so close to his mom. Right. Because I would have thought that he respected and loved her so much that he would put women on this pedestal, but he clearly thought of them as inferior, which just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, because when you meet men today who have good relationships with their moms they're usually more respectful of women. But maybe with Freud, I don't know if it was because of, at the time, like society was a lot more misogynistic. And he also, like I said, had really complicated relationships with just other women, like his wife. Maybe he was just like straight up confused. Like he was like, why is my mom so great? But all these other women- Yeah, maybe he was totally wrong. And his theory was just like, why are all these women not living up to my mom? That's also interesting because it kind of is similar to my second thought, which was about what we were talking about relating to mommy issues and daddy issues and how we were saying that if you're stuck in the, if you're stuck in the Oedipus complex, so you're like in love with your opposite sex parent and you never get over that, then you stay attached to them forever But usually, at least in my experience with people that I've met in my life who have, I think, mommy slash daddy issues, it's usually Mm -hmm. that they have a really negative experience with that opposite sex parent. And that's why they have problems. Like, and that's why they have quote unquote issues. Yep. That's also the opposite of what he was saying. Yeah, I don't know where that got like flipped in history because I agreed like that's definitely the case now. But those are the two things that kind of came to mind. There's other things, but I'm sure we can get into them. Um, And that kind of leads into my first question, which is kind of like a big question in the idea of femininity. So Freud develops this whole theory about what it means to be feminine and what causes a child to become a woman. So in your experience as a young woman, like, where do you think Freud missed 
point on this endeavor? You know, where do you think he should have gone in search of these answers? Good question. Um, And cracking open femininity or where I think Freud should have gone. I was thinking this the whole entire episode. (laughs) Why didn't Freud literally ask a woman? Like literally all he had to do was have a conversation with a woman and just be honest with her and like ask her for her genuine opinion. And that made me really frustrated. But then I thought about it a little bit more. I realized I was approaching it with a very presentist approach. Mm -hmm. Like I was thinking about this past issue from the point of view that we have now, but in reality, I don't know if even if Freud had asked a woman for her honest opinion, would she have given it? And Mm -hmm. even if she did give it, and it was a very genuine, like real answer because he was so misogynistic it's so possible that he would just completely disregard that opinion. I also wonder in that idea of like, if he asked a woman, like what is femininity? And he came up with a theory, like say he did listen to this woman and he was like, great. And he asked like all these women, he did like a cross analysis of all their answers. And I wonder if the results would even apply to today. Cause I think in today's society, like women have so many more rights and so many more freedoms to actually explore what it means to be feminine, which I think like leads into my next question of like, what even is femininity? Like, because that's different to any, everyone who's, who identifies as a woman, like you can be, you can identify like as a man and still be feminine. Right. Like what even is femininity? It's like, I will ask you, what is it? What is it to you? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's a tough question, I think, because honestly, I think like when I first think what is femininity, my brain automatically goes to that idea of femininity that we are conditioned to think about that women are beautiful, that they are fragile and, you know, need to be protected. Not that I see myself in that way. But when I first think femininity, that's what I think of. But when I think about it more of how I see myself as feminine, I think about it as confidence. And I was thinking about this kind of an example in my life that is representative of this is my relationship with body hair, because Mm, I'm a hairy girl. Like every part of my body grows hair, like even my face. (laughs) Indian Indian girls, like I am out here being super brown. And for a long time, I hated it. I hated it when I was a kid. People used to make fun of my mustache. Like so many mean things were said. And at one point when I was, before I even remember, my parents told me that someone that they had just met at like a party, like a dinner party, had told them like, oh, you should take care of your daughter's facial hair because she's going to have a lot of problems when she's growing up because people are going to make fun of her. And so they, like, I'm their first child, so they really took that to heart. And they always unintentionally, I think, instill this idea in me of like, I mean, not when I was really young, but when I started to get older, they were like, oh, like, what can we do to like get rid of it type of thing? and after it just took a long time for me to get over that but I think what's funny is how the script kind of flipped over time and how Mm -hmm. I became well anyone that knows me knows 
that one of my favorite assets, my physical assets. Oh, and I agree with this. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> are my eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, you have the most luscious full eyebrows I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Thank you. It's so funny though, because that's the word like full that you used to describe them, but people used to describe them as bushy or that I had a unibrow, like all of these negative things mm-hmm. that I really took to heart but it was changing my mind and my confidence and my self-confidence and adding that aspect to my femininity that really helped me get over that and made it part of my identity and something I could be proud of. And I'm still working on it. It's a work in progress, but I think that's a big part of femininity for me is like getting over the parts of yourself that you don't necessarily love so that you can love all of yourself as a whole and not just the parts that you think you're supposed to like. Mm -hmm. because society tells you that those are your best assets like they're not your whole self is your best and you can exude that out to the public right because you deserve to shine I agree with that and this whole time you're talking about your body hair I'm like and Alicia has the most beautiful mermaid hair (laughs) literally ever I have like three hairs in my head and Alicia has like 20,000 hairs on her head (laughs) and like just wish I had your hair Yeah, I agree. And I think also like when I think of femininity, like I definitely agree with you in that like feminine can often be applied to like how you look. Do feel most feminine like when I'm dressed up or when I wear makeup or wear Mm -hmm. or like wear a dress. And like I do love doing those things. And I also love wearing sweatpants and not wearing makeup. But like femininity is very much tied to those physical aspects. But the other point for more of like a mental way of looking at it is you were like, I feel feminine when I'm confident. I definitely agree with that. And I would say like for myself, I feel the most feminine when I am being like compassionate and being empathetic Mm, and like being there for someone. Like, I feel like that's when I am being like my best self. I don't know if there's anything to take from that, but that's like definitely what it is to me. I think that is something that a lot of women can resonate with. I personally definitely can. And I think that's something that ties us all together in this really special way, because being empathetic and being caring is so important and so beautiful, which is cool. Yeah. And it's not that every woman has to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I can like totally see why Freud was like, what is the answer to the riddle of femininity? Cause it kind of <laughs> is a riddle in an aspect of like, what is it? Like, it's so complicated and every one like sees in its own way and there's right. no society sees like there's no like, one size this is not a brandy melville store like this is not yeah. a one size fits all moment fits all. no wonder he was so confused because he first of all didn't understand like the basic idea of like women having minds and like having right. feelings of their own and then more so he was like what is this formula like i must figure out the formula of the female brain mm-hmm. literally um yeah so Freud is confused I think we're just as confused and we're definitely going to keep discussing like what it means to be feminine and what femininity is like throughout mm-hmm. episodes like so moving on a little bit from the femininity topic is I read that quote about how the one scholar mentioned that Freud's blind spot was women right so as future physicians and just critical thinkers in today's society in general like what can we do to avoid such blind spots in our own lives? I was thinking a lot about the idea that we always have to be looking for what's missing because that is a blind spot is that part you don't see, but in order to know what's there, you have to be actively thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And 
it's easy to say though, like to think about what's missing, but in reality, it's so hard to do because it's kind of like when you need something from the grocery store, or you like know you need a bunch of things, but you didn't mm-hmm. make a list or anything. And then your friend or like your family members, like I'm going to the grocery store, like you need anything. And in that moment, you're like, I've never needed anything ever. I have nothing like (laughs) I have everything I've ever needed in my life. Like that is (laughs) literally how I feel all the time about the grocery store. And that's often how I feel when people confront me with like a question that they want me Mm -hmm. to answer on the spot, because I think it's difficult to always know what you're missing. And that's why having conversations and talking to people and sharing ideas is so important. That's why I love talking to you about things. And that's why we started this whole project because we just love sharing ideas and sharing the way that we think because you are such a big idea thinker. And I admire that so much about you because my brain has the mental capacity of actually a walnut. Like I can only (laughs) see things right in front of me sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I sometimes need someone to bring in that larger perspective. So I think to avoid blind spots, you need to have constant reminders to look at things a different way. Yeah. I think that like brings up the point too of like why diversity is so important. Yeah, I know in like my current job that I'm leaving that I was in, in my gap year, my coworkers, like it was a group of 10 of us and we were just the most diverse group of people mixture of like different ages of different genders different sexual orientations different like races and ethnicities like everything we were very different but we were extremely close and we were talking once like why do we think we're all so close and one of my coworkers brought up he thinks our differences are what brought us closer and I really Mm -hmm. agree with that and I even think that's the same for like our friendship is having such different life experiences And ideas that you can like bring into a conversation can tie people closer because you're filling in the gaps and helping avoid the blind spot. Talking to people about such blind spots is a great way to avoid that. And I think Freud had an issue because his community was this bubble of white men so that no one knew the blind spots because they all had the same blind spot. Okay, so lastly... My last question is, have you ever personally felt the effects of Freud's theories, such as being perceived as inferior or an object of male desire? And how can we succeed in life just as women in general, despite these perceptions? I think like most women have had experiences of, especially of being like an object of male desire, like being catcalled or um, just those kinds of things that happen to every single girl I've ever met I guess. I mean, you're right. Like I have experienced these things. I think how this object of male desire, I think that Mm -hmm. is so ingrained in society because for example, you brought up the cat calling, which I mean, I agree. I I don't know a single woman who's not been cat called, but I remember in one of my women's studies classes, we did this reading And it was so interesting because we were talking about the nature of catcalling and how Mm -hmm. we inherently don't like it, but we also feel like jealous when we don't get catcalled. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've heard those stories from people I definitely have. Like I've definitely felt that. I, that's just so terrible. And when I realized that about myself, I felt so bad, but then I was like, 
I don't know if it's my fault or if it's society's fault or if it's both of our faults, but as you know, walking down the street, you're with your group of friends and like some male who you literally don't care about at all gives your friend a little bit of attention and says nothing to you. And mm-hmm. I've felt like inferior in that moment. I'm like, why didn't he say anything to me? And it's like, why do I want him to say anything? Like yeah. this creepy guy is now hitting on my friend and I don't want this for her, but I also am slightly jealous. Like, I think that's the big thing, how we can succeed in life as women, despite these perceptions is that I think, I know we always say it, like women need to support women. I think we actively need to try to make that a reality because it's so easy to feel jealous of each other, feel inferior and the world already is pitted against us. So how can we be pitted against each other? I think it's like engraved in women, these like ideas of being inferior and such, just because that's part of society. Like I saw this thing that was, it was talking about racism, but I think it it applies to sexism as well. And if you grow up in a society that has sexist values and you learn about a history that it's all focused on white men, then you grow up with your own ideas of what it means to be a woman in society that might be misogynistic and sexist in certain ways that you don't even realize until you start having those thoughts of like, wait, why am I thinking like that? Like, that's crazy. I should not be having those thoughts. And you have to like actively work to not have them. It's just insane. That's like a part of life. But I think that like explains it in a good way. It's all about unlearning things that we need to unlearn. I agree. I think that's a good food for thought question for all of our listeners too, is like, how can we like work against these perceptions or if you like don't identify as a woman like how can you um yourself like work against those perceptions of women amazing okay well if you are listening to this and you have any feedback for us or you want to contact us there's a lot of different ways you can do so but first we want you to take a second and subscribe on whatever podcasting app you're listening on And if you can, please rate and review the podcast. It just helps us a lot with our visibility and showing up on different pages. Um, But if you don't have time for that, that's okay. We still love you. If you could take time to send the podcast to a friend or a loved one who you think would really enjoy it, that'd be great. Yeah. And like Alicia said, if you want to send us feedback, you can contact us on our website, which is from skirtstoscrubs.com. You can also follow us on social media. It has the handle of From Scrubs to Scrubs. Also on our website, you can find our sources and you can find our show notes along with the discussion questions if you would like to talk about this even more with your friends and family. Which we highly, highly encourage. And lastly, as always, we want to give a shout out, a toast to all the women who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Okay, see you guys next time. (laughs) Bye.